1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Word of God says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So two issues that cause great controversy. Uh, the first would be issues of gender roles. And I preached from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15 last Sunday, and I identified many of the areas where our cultural context has created many challenges and controversies and conflicts around uh, the, the, that passage and, and, and in contrast to faithfully preaching what the Bible teaches concerning uh, gender and the roles that God has ordained and assigned to, and even restricted uh, to the various genders. The second issue that can cause tremendous controversy is the question or the issue of authority. From, from, from the home to the largest company or government, an, an, an issue that seems to be constantly contested is who is in charge and who has authority over others. Though some would prefer to ignore this reality, it is both healthy and I think necessary for every organization to define well and to effectively communicate its governing structure. Whatever you're in, whether it's a social club, a government, a country, or a church, you need to know what is the command structure, what is the authority structure, who is responsible for what, and who is in charge. However, where the church stands apart from secular organizations is that the church's leadership structure is not, cannot be defined by the will or the opinion of the members, but by God as communicated in Scripture. So today we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul continues his instructions on the proper order of the church with instructions in this chapter to the two offices of the church of elders, overseer, pastors, all three of those referring to the same office and deacons. Now, as a personal side note, there are two subjects that generally pastors are a little uncomfortable to preach about. One of them is the Bible's command to financially support the work of the one who preaches. It's just awkward to preach about uh, your own uh, income. And the second uh, thing that's awkward to preach about is authority. Because you're, there's just those natural uh, awkwardness of, of not wanting to be perceived as power-hungry or money-hungry or, or all the rest. And yet here we come to a passage, and frankly, dear friends, my intention is to faithfully preach it no matter if it's awkward or not. Presently, there is much debate over the role of women in, the church, in church leadership. And frankly, at the heart of that a debate is the issue of the qualifications for the elders, the overseers, the pastors of a church. Many Christians and churches have approached this issue exclusively from a practical perspective. You're going to hear me use that word a lot, practical and, 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 and pragmatism. And I, I just hear every time I use it, I probably won't be using it in a positive term. Though it's not exclusively negative, when we elevate pragmatism over faithfulness to Scripture, it always leads to, to, to trouble and sin. Added to this, many Christians and churches alike do not have a deep understanding of biblical teachings and thus are not well prepared to counter these pragmatic arguments 
with a biblical defense. So, so my approach today is somewhat different from how I normally preach. So today's sermon is going to be unique. It's going to be different from the way I normally approach the pulpit. Before moving to the qualifications of elders, pastors, and, and, and overseers, which I'll tackle the next opportunity the Lord gives me to preach, I, I want to address the issue regarding the present condition of the church in relation to the office of elder, overseer, and pastor. And so to that end, in the, in the, um, I'm going to, to do more teaching today, if you will, than, 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 than preaching or exegeting the, the passage. And I'll explain just a minute what I mean by that. In the first sermon that I preached from 1 Timothy, I explained that I had chosen to preach from 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus so that we might be instructed from the Scripture how the, the church should be properly ordered. And I explained in that sermon that my, my concerns concerning the areas where our church was not properly and biblically ordered. Now, be encouraged. No church is perfectly or rightly ordered. However, every church must have at, as its heart, at its heart a desire to be rightly ordered and faithful to Scripture as much as it can be. And so today I want to preach just this one verse. And I want to hopefully for us as a church rediscover, reacquaint ourselves with the terms and with the office of overseer, elder, and pastor. Now there's important to note here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it refers to the office of overseer. Uh, this word, uh, it, uh, the, the word there behind that's translated as overseer is where we get our English word bishop. So sometimes you'll see bishop used in this context. Now I'll discuss the various terms the Bible uses for this office later in the sermon, but for now it's, in, it's helpful for you to understand that I'll be using several terms today, but they all refer to the same office. So Scripture uses three terms to reference the, the office of what we are most familiar with, the, the term of pastor. So the three terms are overseer or bishop, uh, elder or presbytery, and then pastor or shepherd. To introduce a biblical understanding of the office of overseer, elder, pastor, I, I'm going to divide my time this morning in these three areas. The first is I want to uh, explain the problem. In other words, how did we get to where we are, where particularly terms of overseer, bishop, uh, elder, presbytery are, for most of you and most Baptist church members, very foreign terms. They, they sound like terms that, that apply to other churches, other denominations, but not our own. So I want to lay out the problem, sort of how we got here. Secondly, I want to define the terms. So rediscovering the terms and, and how the Bible uses these three terms. And then lastly this morning... I want to come from this passage, verse 1, and, and discuss the office of overseer and, and really talk about just two things that I think this, this verse teaches us about the office of overseer. So let's begin with the problem, where we are and how we got here. So I think what has happened in many Baptist churches is we have a lost a biblical understanding of the office of elder, overseer, and pastor. If you were to ask the average Baptist church member what the biblical offices of the church are, they'll probably, maybe likely say, well, the two offices of the church are pastor 
and deacon. If you were to ask who has the highest authority in the church, they might say, if they're well-trained, they, they might say that, that the pastor does. However, if you were to read the actual governing documents of their church, you will likely discover that who actually has the real authority in the church is the deacons. We have some phrases for that. Sometimes we call those deacon-run churches. If your church has a board of deacons, it's probably indicating that that's where the highest form of authority. Other churches may elevate uh, committees, which is even further away from a biblical teaching, but they might elevate committees. And it used to be at one point in, in Baptist history a, a common thing to have committee-run churches. Even church councils have sometimes been elevated to have the, the highest level of authority, even another step away from, from a biblical model. But, 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 but the reality is we may say one thing, well, the, the pastor has the greatest authority in the church, but in practical reality, and most of you can confirm this in your own experience in churches, that's not been the way we actually operate. If you were to ask the average Baptist church member to define what an elder is, a presbytery is, an overseer, or a bishop, they would most likely tell you that these are titles that other denominations use, but they're not Baptist. We don't have them, we don't use them, and we're not really sure what in the world they, where they are. Confusion or lack of biblical understanding has led to pragmatism and tradition having more influence over the ordering of many churches than Scripture in the areas of government and authority. Now, I don't mean that in a sense that the church is set out to be unfaithful to Scripture, but I'm just saying that the reality of it is, if you look over our history, pragmatism, tradition, how we've always done it, have, have bubbled to the top of what has actually led us to how we have structured our churches and how we define leadership within our churches. And as with denying and rejecting uh, the, the biblical roles that God has ordained for men and women, when the church denies and rejects the biblical roles God has declared for church leadership, it, it, it also loses and forfeits its effectiveness, its protection, and becomes vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. The most significant areas where the church becomes ineffective and vulnerable are defending against false teaching and church discipline. Every now and then somebody will ask me, why don't modern churches practice church discipline? And to be honest, early in my ministry, I struggled with that. Why don't we practice church discipline? Clearly it's in Scripture. When you look in our history books, we practice it in previous generations. But in the modern context, no church that I know have as effectively uh, practiced church discipline. And the reason for that, I have come to believe, is that when we abandoned biblical models of leadership, we lost the ability to practice biblical models of church discipline. And we also lost the, the effectiveness of, of, of approaching and dealing with false teaching. The pastoral letters that, that Paul writes to Timothy, almost all of them are dealing with false teaching. And he is addressing it to the elders of the church to deal with the false teachers in the church. When we do not have effective church elders, overseers, pastors, we will not have an effective defense against false teaching. So I see three problems the church has with understanding the office of elder, overseer, and pastor. 
I want to lay those out to you briefly this morning. The first is we have a problem of authority. So the Bible is clear that the authority is to that, that, that the authority to lead the church is placed with those responsible for the doctrinal integrity and the preaching of the gospel. Specifically, the Bible teaches that those responsible for uh, and, and, uh, for and, um, and exercising authority in the church are the, 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 in the office of pastor, elder, overseer. The Bible is also clear that the deacons serve the logistical needs of the church under the authority of the elder, overseer, pastor. However, in this area, many Baptist churches are just not rightly ordered. A common reality for many churches is that deacons hold the authority of the Bible that is actually assigned to the elders. And those who are deacons, those who are deacons and, and, and exercise this authority oftentimes also do not meet the qualifications for elders. So even though they are exercising the authority of elders, they do not meet the qualifications for elders. In these churches, the elder, pastor, overseer is responsible for preaching, but often is expected to perform many of the logistical tasks the Bible actually assigns to the deacons. Now, this is, a, this is such a common reality for Baptist churches that it's likely, I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating here, and I don't think this is hyperbolic, I think that is the most common leadership structures for Baptist churches. It is the most common that I have encountered in my ministries. And it may, it may be common, and it may have pragmatism at its root, but it is unsupported by Scripture, and I think it creates a host of unhealthy realities for the church. The church has a problem of authority. It also has a problem of function and language. When the roles and responsibilities of elders are not founded in the Bible, the reason for and the function of this office becomes confused. What does a pastor do? Well, if the, the def, defining what a pastor, overseer, elder does is defined by pragmatism, we've moved away from a biblical model, and now we're defining it by things outside of Scripture. Beyond the two offices of elder and deacons, the Bible says nothing about other things in the church, like paid ministers and, uh, uh, and uh, other paid ministers and other in church, uh, church employees and the church is rightly and I think appropriately um, had a, a, a pragmatic response to these. There are some areas where the church says we need some help and so we've, we've employed some folks and, but, 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 and where I think we're free to do that, I think when, we, when we, we lose the idea of the function and the language for the, elder and, or the, the elders and the deacons, we, we step away from the testimony of Scripture. Many today use the term pastor simply to mean someone who is employed by the church. While it is certainly true that Scripture instructs the church to support the elders in their gospel labor, the office of elder is not automatically applied to those the church may employ to accomplish ministry tasks. The title of pastor, elder, overseer is not synonymous with employment. We have a problem with terms. We have a problem with language. And we have a problem with the number. Most churches see the role of pastor as singular. So when you ask somebody, who is the pastor of your church? However, 
the overwhelming New Testament usage of pastor, elder, overseer is plural. Now, there were certainly times in the New Testament where churches had only one pastor, elder, overseer, but this was generally in the early days of the church's planting, not in the latter days once it was a mature church. As churches grew and men were discipled, additional elders were set apart to minister to the church. We have a problem of authority. We have a problem of function and language. We have a problem with number. I also think we have struggled with losing the terms, how we speak about the office of pastor, elder, overseer. And so I want to spend a moment rediscovering the terms the Bible uses for those who lead the church. It seems to me we have, we have lost the use of biblical terms. When I use the word elder, when I use the word overseer, even more so if I were to use the word uh, bishop or presbytery, those words seem foreign to our ears. They don't seem natural to say. You might say, also say that, that we have a problem of language. We're most familiar with the title of pastor. That's certainly inappropriate. It is a biblical title. The usage of elder, presbytery, overseer, or bishop seems much more foreign to us. So there are three words here that the Bible uses for this office. The first is the one that we're most familiar with, which is pastor. The, the, the Greek word under that simply means shepherd. Uh, it has a figurative extension of meaning to, to mean one who is responsible for the care and guidance of a Christian congregation to pastor, to shepherd them. Uh, we find that in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave the apostles, the, uh, and, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. The title of, of elder in Scripture is presbytis uh, or presbytory. It, it, it certainly it can mean one who is older, and we find that in the Old Testament, the elders, the older members of the community. But it also has the sense of a person of responsibility and authority in matters of, uh, of religious concerns, both in the Jewish and in the Christian context. We, we find that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then the title that is used in this uh, passage in verse 1 of chapter 3 is the title of overseer, episkopos. It's where we get uh, the word bishop, and in the plural is where we get episcopal. It simply means one, uh, 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 one who, um, uh, 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 who is a church leader, a overseer, if you will. That's what we find here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. All three of these terms are interchangeably used in Scripture to refer to the office of pastor. In fact, we actually have some passages where, where these terms are actually used in the same passage referring to the same office. Here's what I think is the issue here. When you do not use the language of Scripture, it leads to disconnecting the functions of these offices from the commands of Scripture. And so, if nothing else, I want us to be re-exposed to what the, how the Bible references this office that we might understand it. Now, if I could nerd out with you for just a minute, 
I want to give you a bit of history. Don't you love history? If you can't say amen, just groan, okay. History at least tells us how we got to where we are. And it sometimes can tell us how we can get back to where we need to be. Baptists have often used confessions of faith to articulate what we believe about Scripture. Confessions are generally updated when the church faces a new doctrinal challenge or a a new false teaching. So when you see a church's confession of faith updated, it's usually updated because it needs to address something that the previous confession of faith did not address. The confession of faith of our church that we hold to is called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It was last updated in the year 2000. But the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was an update of a previous Baptist Faith and Message, which was an update of a previous Baptist Faith and Message, which was an update of the New Hampshire Confession, which was an update of a previous confession. So without going into all the deep weeds, I want you to at least hear how these successive confessions reference the office of pastor. If for nothing else, I want you to get a sense that it's not always been that Baptist churches did not know what these terms were. In, 1860, in 1689, Baptists in London adopted the London Baptist Confession, and in that document they referenced the office of pastor with the terms bishop or elders. In 1833, the New Hampshire Confession, which is very significant in the Americas, uh, referenced the office of pastor as bishops or pastors. Then in 1925, it was the first Baptist faith and message for Southern Baptist Convention. It was an update, a reaffirmation, a, 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 an addition to the New ha- built on or, or standing on the New Hampshire Confession. And it referenced pastors uh, with the terms bishop or bishops or elders. But things began to change in 1963. Everything was changing in 1963. The Baptist Faith and Message was again revised and updated. And it is interesting to note that the titles of bishop and elder were dropped in that edition of the Baptist Faith and Message, and it only referenced for the office of pastor with the title of pastor. And I think that's where where we got to today started. Now, I don't dare to say why these other titles were dropped in 1963. It's hard for me to believe that the removal of these terms was malicious or in any way contrary to the other titles of bishop and or overseer and elder, my guess is, now this is just Ben Smith guessing here because I wasn't around in 1963. My guess is that at the time it was believed that there was clarity and common understanding that the title of pastor referred to the biblical office of pastor, elder, overseer. Maybe just an updating of, of language. But looking back now at 1963, I think that was a mistake. Not intentional, but the, 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 the net result of that was it led to a generation of Baptists unfamiliar with these other terms. In 2000, the Baptist Faith and Message was again updated. So it was updating the 1963 edition. 
And it was addressing growing concerns of issues related to gender roles and the family and the church. And a sentence was added um, to, to clarify the office of pastor that read this way. It said, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. The document did not use the other terms elder or overseer. Again, I think that was a mistake, not intentional. I think in 2000, the assumption was everybody knows what a pastor is. Everybody knows. But, but, but the, further we, the further we got away from the language of Scripture, I think we also got away from the understanding of Scripture. And then this past summer, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was amended. So it wasn't quite updated. It wasn't a total update, but it was amended. Uh, responding to the growing confusion over the office and the biblical, the biblical office of pastor. And the Baptist Faith in 2000, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was amended to, to every time it referred to the office of pastor to refer to it this way, pastor slash overseer slash elder. An attempt to rediscover uh, those, those terms. Now you may ask, what does our own church documents say? Uh, you know, I hope you say, well, we believe the Bible, and that is true. But churches who say they believe the Bible, when it gets right down to the nitty-gritty, when conflict comes, what will rule the day will be their bylaws, what they have said they believe about the Bible. In our own church's governing documents, we attempt to affirm the three biblical terms for the office of pastor. So in Article three of, excuse me, Article 2 of our, of our bylaws, it states this. As a New Testament church, this congregation shall have pastors and deacons. The pastoral office, this office will consist of the pastor as, and as many other ministers that the church shall determine necessary uh, to its ministry at any specific period of time. Three specific terms are used in the New Testament to refer to this office, bishop, elder, and, pasha, and pastor. Each one focuses upon a particular element of the pastor's responsibility. As bishop, he is the overseer. Uh, he is to oversee the work of the church. As elder, he is to lead the church in fulfilling its task. And as pastor, he is to care for the flock for which he is responsible. Now, on, on one level, I'm encouraged that our bylaws recognize the three biblical terms of the office of pastor. However, it should be noted that our bylaws refer to this office in the singular and do not affirm the biblical model of a plurality of elders. So that leads us to chapter 3, verse 1. And I want to, I want to read this passage again. And I want to say two things about the office of overseer. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, this is trustworthy. In other words, this is something you should believe. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Two things about the office of elder, overseer, pastor. First, hear me very carefully, it is a praiseworthy desire to be an overseer, an elder, a pastor. Here again, Paul indicates that this is a trustworthy statement. Now, Paul uses that, this, this phrase often throughout First and Second Timothy and Titus. 
And it likely indicates that what follows is an often repeated truth. So in other words, you know this. This is something we say often. This is a trustworthy statement. And he begins with the positive that men aspiring to be an overseer or elder pastor is something that is worthy. It is a righteous desire. Now, in our modern context, is often seen as as more proper not to show any desire for high office or advancement. So uh, when when people are running for president, even though they have created a presidential uh, um, exploratory campaign and everything else, when the news says, are you running for office? They'll go, well, I'm just focused on my current office and and I'm just trying to do the best job I can. And you know, you know, you know they're aspiring for that office. But just culturally speaking, it's it's seen as as, as improper, maybe tacky to, to aspire for that or to openly seek that. But Paul communicates to the church the very opposite here. It is good for men to aspire to the office of overseer. The word translated as aspire, as aspire in the first part of the, of the verse means to eagerly desire to accomplish some goal or purpose. In, in the second part, uh, in the last part of the verse, the, the word that is translated as desire simply means to greatly desire to do or to have something, to long for, to desire very much. And Paul says those things are good. Men, you ought to aspire to be an elder. Men, you ought to desire to be an elder in the church. He says it is a noble task. The word there that is translated as noble simply means pertaining to a positive moral quality with the implication of being favorably valued, a worthy, a worthy, a praiseworthy pursuit. Now, these are all positive words pointing to the goodness of desiring and aspiring to be an elder, a pastor, an overseer. Now, depending on your age, you may or may not know what I'm talking about here. But one of Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson's most famous recordings was a song titled, Mamas, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be What? Come on now, you're my kind of people. And if you know that song, in the chorus of that song, he says, Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Now, what they're saying in the song is there's a difference of praiseworthiness of professions. So mamas, don't let your babies pursue being a cowboy. That's not worthy of praise. Let them be doctors and lawyers. Those are professions of praiseworthy. In other words, those are professions you ought to aspire for. You ought to desire for your children. You ought to pursue and push your children toward. Professions and positions that are noble and praiseworthy are often what parents encourage their children towards and what the community most honors. You can just think even now, what you, those of you who have young children in your family, what are you desiring for them to grow up to be? When I was a little kid, uh, that was back in the days where firefighters and garbage collection men hung off the back of trucks. Y'all remember when that used to be the thing? And in my neighborhood, I watched the, the trash truck come off every, by most, you know, a couple of times a week. The men would hang off the back of the, of the trash truck and jump off and, and, and get the cans and then jump back on. And I thought that was the absolute coolest thing there ever was. And I didn't care either one, either fireman or trash truck guy. I just wanted to hang off the back of a truck. Well, you need to know that in Columbus, Georgia, when my hometown, 
the, the, the prisoners were the ones who were the trash collectors. And I told my granddad one time, when I grow up, I just picked one. I said, when I grow up, I want to be a trash man. Now, in my little mind, I was thinking so that I could hang off the back of the truck. And I remember that conversation because my grandfather had a, a visceral reaction to that. No, you will not. Now, he was thinking, you're telling me you want to grow up and be a prisoner? And I was just saying, no, I just want to hang off and jump off the back of a truck. But what he, what he was responding to, being a prisoner is not a praiseworthy desire, right? Now, maybe if I had just in the moment chosen fireman, he would have been, well, that's a great. You ought to pursue that. That's, that's praiseworthy. That's, that's noble work. So what Paul is saying here is men, brothers in the church, it is a worthy desire. It is a praiseworthy aspiration for you to desire to be an overseer, an elder, a pastor. The question is, does the church encourage the aspiration of men becoming elders, pastors, overseers? I think because we have relegated being a pastor to a profession, an employment reality, that we've isolated this from a good, worthy aspiration from the membership of the church. Is, is aspiring to the office of elder, pastor, overseer recognized among the fellowship as a worthy desire? I'm not sure it is. If it is not, hear me, it should be. It should be the encouragement of the saints within the church for men to aspire and to desire to be elders. The church should encourage its men to aspire to and desire to become elders, pastors, overseers. Now, that's the positive. There is a negative in the passage, and that is the office of elder, overseer, pastor is a restrictive office. Now, while the office is a praiseworthy aspiration, it is a restrictive office for men who are qualified. An aspiration and desire do not equal attainment or qualification. So just because you desire something, just because you aspire for something does not mean, even if you aspire for and desire it greatly, does not equal that you will be guaranteed qualified or attain it. I have long, as long as I can remember, aspired and desired to earn my pilot's license. However, beyond a few opportunities to sit in the right seat, I have had no formal flight training. And even though I desire it and aspire it greatly, I am not qualified to fly an airplane. All of you have things you aspire to. Maybe it's an athletic feat. Maybe it's an academic accomplishment. Maybe it's a professional level that you desire, that you even aspire to, but, but that does not necessarily mean that you'll ever be qualified for it or that you'll ever attain it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15 is a restrictive passage for women, restricting them from the role of elders and the ministry of preaching in the public worship of the church. When there is a restriction placed on one group or on, one, on a position from, from one particular group in the church, there is an opportunity to falsely believe that all those not specifically restricted are therefore entitled to it. 
So there's a temptation here to go, well, women are restricted from being the pastor, elder, overseer. Therefore, all men can be pastor, elder, overseer. While chapter 3, verse 1 begins with the positive nature of the desire, this is not a default office for all men in the church. The use of the words aspire and desire is a recognition that not all who aspire to the office will qualify for it. Now, in verses 2 through 7, which I'll deal with the next time I have opportunity to preach, Paul deals, gives the qualifications for those who will become elders and overseers and pastors. That will show how greatly restrictive this office is indeed. Now, the church, the response of the church to this, both the praiseworthiness of seeking the office and the reality of the restrictiveness of the office, the response to the church is twofold. Number one, brothers and sisters, you should honor the office and encourage men to aspire to be well qualified for it. We do that in so many other areas of our lives. If you have children in your home, you're encouraging them to pursue particular goals, and you're, you're, you're encouraging them, oh, you need to do this so that you'll qualify for that. Friends, we need to do the same. Honor the office of elder, overseer, pastor, and let that honor and respect for that office be testified to, to our encouragement for men to aspire for it, to desire for it, to prepare for it, and to be qualified for it. And secondly, we should recognize the spiritual responsibility of the office. And listen to me carefully here. To refuse to elevate anyone unqualified for it. I'll apply this to both elders and deacons. But, but the danger for the modern church that because we have commingled those two offices, I... If you commingle the offices, then I think the qualifications ought to apply to both. And, and too often we have elevated men to these positions based on things that are not biblical. They're well-known. Maybe they're well-respected in the community. Maybe they can do something for the church. Hear me very carefully. Last week I said to the church, said to you, in response to the pragmatic argument, what if there are no men to fill the roles? And I said to you, it would be better for us to have positions unfilled. It would be better for us to come and gather and have no one to preach to us than to have an unqualified person preach. And I think, brothers and sisters, that applies to the offices of elder pastor, deacon, elder pastor, overseer, and to deacon. It would be better to have none than to have those unqualified. It'd be better to sit on the ground and not go anywhere in an airplane than to have an unqualified pilot behind the wheel. Honoring God's word concerning the roles in the church is not only an issue of obedience, it is also an issue of blessing. It is common wisdom that using the right tool for the right job makes the job easier to accomplish. When I was a boy, growing up in my parents' home, I enjoyed tinkering with things, and that often involved disassembling and reassembling all kinds of stuff around our, our house. 
And when you do that, it often requires a screwdriver. But as a kid, I often did not know where my screwdriver was. And so I would opt for the most available, the most convenient tool I could put my hands on. Now, you might think that was my father's tools out in his storage room. That's too far to go. The closest tool that I could reach for, at least when I needed a standard screwdriver, was my mom's table knives in the kitchen. And I would grab those table knives. They were flat on the end, and you could use them to turn a standard screw head. Now, here's the problem. Because a table knife is not designed for that work, to put enough torque on it and enough pressure on it to, uh, to turn a screw, oftentimes it, it, it didn't work well, so it would slip out. It would be frustrating. But it also generally damaged the knives. <laughs> Don't tell her this because she may not know why all her knives were messed up. But uh, for a long time, all the tips of her knives had a little bend to them because I had torqued them. I had bent them. I had damaged them using them for a job they were not intended for. I was using the wrong tool for the wrong job. You see, when you marry the right tool for the right purpose, things work better. For too long, the church has approached leadership, church government, and the office of elder, pastor, overseer, more focused on pragmatism and man's wisdom than seeking to be most obedient to God's Word. Like my mom's table knives, we were getting the job done, but not well. And we were not calculating the damage, the destruction we were doing by using the wrong tool for the wrong job. Brothers and sisters, it is time for the church to use the right tool for the right job and to order ourselves according to the commands of God. When we do, we will bless the Lord with our obedience. And when we do, we will be blessed by our obedience. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King 
and all for the kingdom.